welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Kent State University head coach Jeff Duncan. Kent State has a long history of winning. Since taking the reins of the Kent State baseball program in the summer of 2013, Coach Duncan has continued the success of each of his predecessors, Scott Strickland, Rick Rambalak, and Danny Hall. Coach Duncan has guided Kent to two MAC tournament titles in 2014 and 2018, and back-to-back-to-back regular season conference crowns in 2016, 17, and 18. He's a three-time MAC Coach of the Year and 2018 Collegiate Baseball Chuck Tanner Coach of the Year. He has 218 career victories and 108 MAC victories. Prior to Kent State, Coach Duncan had an extremely successful four-year stint with the Purdue Boilermakers. In 2012, Purdue was the Big Ten regular season champs, tournament champs, and a regional host. Prior to Purdue, Coach Duncan was an assistant at Auburn. Duncan played professionally for nine seasons in the Mets, Padres, Blue Jays, and Dodgers organizations. Spent two of those years at the major league level with the Mets during the 2003 and 2004 seasons. Duncan was also a three-time All-Star selection while in the minor leagues. Coach Duncan played collegially at Arizona State and Iowa State. Get ready to listen to all things grit, attitude, effort, trust, and enthusiasm. Coach Duncan is is big on treating people the right way and with respect. We also touch on practice planning, outfield play, player development, and what he would like to see from a player development side at the youth and travel levels. Let's welcome Coach Duncan to the podcast. Here with Jeff Duncan, uh, Kent State coach, three-time Mac Coach of the Year, and um, Duncan and I go way back, and I told somebody that um, earlier that I think sometimes I take for granted how good of friends I am sometimes with guys that you have great information and sometimes I don't reach out to guys to come onto the show and I, I probably need to do that more. Just um, I think sometimes I take for granted from a friendship standpoint that I, I don't have more guys on, but I, I wanted to have you on just because I know how great you are. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, no, it's great to be on. You know, obviously, yeah, we do go way back. You know, you think about it, it goes quick too. With 10 years ago, we we're tracking on up to Wisconsin doing the camp scene together. And it's just amazing how time flies. Um, it's amazing what this game does to bring people together as well. And, and I miss the times you and I sit in a hotel room and talking baseball and uh, talking about coaches we had and different philosophies. And we miss those times. So, but uh, always good to talk to you, Rhino. And, and uh, I appreciate it you having me on so yeah this past week you know talked about charles peterson we doing a friday updates now and i did mention that on the friday updates but um you know just from a scouting community pro ball side anything to add in on on charles it's just really unfortunate i know a lot of guys he was a great person um infectious personality i know a lot of guys that played with him and in fact one of my best friends played Played with him was in a locker room with him for three years and he made a huge impact on that guy and and just I've heard nothing but great things and then just from a scouting standpoint those scouts are so close-knit and they work so hard and they have such a unique job um, that they're a family in itself and you know uh, baseball they have such a close-knit group and they have such a unique job Um, what grinders they are uh, from a daily basis and um, it, I just know that Charles made a huge impact in our baseball community and family. Um, and he's made so many relationships at the end of the day, when baseball's all said and done through our journeys of playing and coaching and scouting that the one thing you draw back and you know, this from your dad too, like is relationship when it's all said and done, that's, that's what you got relationship and the experiences and the places you've been. And that's the really neat thing about baseball. And we just, we can't take things for granted. Um, and, and we're in such a unique time in our, in our life and our society and, and baseball has been such a great sport for such a long time. Um, but when it's all said and done, it's about relationship. And, and, you know, um, when you, when you lose somebody, 
um, that's made such an impact. It's, it's really tough. And, um, but I do know that, you know, he, uh, he will live on, you know, his, his, his personality was so infectious. Um, and I, he made such an impact to, to other people and he'll live on. You and I have so many friends on the pro side that are getting furloughed or getting let go right now. I mean, what's your take on what's going on with, with minor league baseball, with the contraction and everything right now? I think it's tough from a job perspective. Um, I feel for those guys a lot because uh, they're unsure. Um, it sounds like, you know, in anything right now, communication's not, it's tough because nobody knows we're in a position we've never been before. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, I think it's great. I think from the top, I think Major League Baseball has done a great job to get it going. And, and, and it's it, baseball's always been a huge thing for healing. Um, I think, you know, you think back in 9-11 and, and it, really they were really the sport to go every day in the, in the summer um, and take that chance. And they didn't. It's been, there's been bumps in the road. But it's 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 been successful. I look at it; it's been successful. They're still going, and it's trickling down. Um, but you know, financially, you wonder what kind of hit they're taking. Um, you know, from a minor league side, and and that's really you look at the whole thing. The minor league baseball is not going because of financial <laughs> uh, reasons. I think more so than anything. So that puts a lot of uh, jobs and, and, and people that we know from a coaching standpoint, uh, at risk. And, um, you know, you, you think about that as well. And, 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 and on the college side, there's furloughs, uh, there's abolishments, you know, and it's a really tough time. Uh, I just sure hope, uh, I'll tell you what I told, I told our team this actually it's rough waters. We're in the eye of the storm. Um, us as baseball coaches need to captain the ship through these rough waters and not get sick at sea. And I do think that there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. We just got to get through these rough waters and survive this. Well, you even look at the current draft. If, if you were a junior or senior in college right now, you would have been drafted and you played in the big leagues. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, with only five rounds, um, you know, it's amazing now you're seeing all these new guys get called up and you see, okay, 30th rounder, 25th rounder, and those guys don't get that opportunity. It's, um, and you know, that as good as anybody with your path in the, in professional baseball, how late some guys develop. Yes. You know, and, and the kid who's really good at 18, he may not be the best kid at, at 25 or the best kid at nine may not be the best kid at, at 18. We see it all the time from a development standpoint. And you're a great example of a guy who developed late. Um, uh, absolutely. I will shoot. There's two guys that come to mind that you know really well, Sal Fasano and Jamie Carroll. Yep. Yep. Do they, if they, they were a junior or a senior this year in college, do they get the opportunities they were able to have and play 10 years in the big leagues, you know, on a year like that? So there's going to be guys like that. And I talked to a scout. Um, Mike Gibbons, actually, you know, Gibby, um, last week about the same thing. There's so many really good players in the big leagues that were late round draft picks past the 20th round. I'm, I'm interested to see where independent baseball then plays into all this thing, because I, I think that's where you see the pickup is on the independent side. You, you add some more independent league teams and you may see a guy and you're seeing it still independent league pickups that end up going to the big leagues. You might see a little bit more of that now with the independent leagues. Absolutely. I think so. Um, we'll see. I think next year is going to be a completely new year. There's going to be a lot of new things, but hopefully there's still a tradition of old, you know what I mean? And it's not maybe not as many minor league affiliates, but we still have three levels, single, double, triple A. And yeah, I've heard that the draft's going to move back a month and it may only be 20 rounds. Who knows? You think about what's happening in college football today. There's been so much change. They cancel fall football, like the Big Ten, um, the Pac-10, no fall football. Here we go. Hey, Big Ten's going October 18th, baby, you know? 
here we go. Now the Pac-10 starting to talk. The Mac is talking about going now. Like, so like I just we just have to battle these waters and let's keep navigating. Let's get through this and and um, we'll see we'll see what happens in baseball too. I, I have a, I'm optimistic that when we navigate through this, and I think it's like I go back to it's great that Major League Baseball's plan. They have that pod too, the the JV team or whatnot going on as well. This out of the, the extended roster. Um, I just think I, I feel I feel for some of the minor leagues. I you know we have a kid named Riley Feltner on our roster. His brother Ryan was a big draft pick a couple of years ago out of Ohio State. Throws 100 miles an hour. Hasn't played all year. It's I can only imagine what that is like. And we were talking about it yesterday. And I, I just talking to him and he says, "What is he doing? He well, he's throwing in neighborhood kids." I mean, it's just so unique. And it's a, what can you do? Make the most of it. Let's navigate through this and we'll see what next year brings. Cause I, I have a feeling we're going to pull out of this. Yeah. There's going to be change. I'm sure on the minor league side, but it's not going to be as much just like what's going on in the big 10, the pac 10 and football. That's how I can compare it, you know? Um, but uh, we just gotta, we gotta keep the faith. And then I did want to ask about Tony Cal- Caldwell. I think he's doing okay. You know, gotten a, a wreck down down in Florida, and um, just talking to OD the other day. I think he's he's doing better. Um, can any updates with Tony? Yeah, no, he's doing he's doing great, and um, I know he appreciates everybody's support and us as a Kent State baseball program. Rick Odette appreciate the support um, you have all given him. Um, he is. One tough cookie. He's lucky. Um, I've talked to him probably four times. He got out of the hospital about 10 days ago. And he's going to coach again. It's awesome. And I think believable. It went from, you know, living to walking to, you know, that, that those were the things that were on the table. And to now he, he's functioning at a very high level right now. And he's very optimistic. He's strong um, and very grateful. And he's going to be a great coach moving forward. And I, I, I think, um, I think we'll see him back on the field here before too long. I shouldn't say a month or whatnot, who knows, but it's going to, it's not going to be too long because he's, he's got it mentally he's driven mentally and um, he's he's uh, he's he's certainly doing really well. And I can't thank everybody enough for all their their prayers and thoughts. And I know he he can't thank everybody enough. And that has really helped him push through. That has given him motivation. Awesome. So, but he knows that. You know, you're on the outfield hot stove with us, and I, I just have so much respect for you and how you deal with your players, and I think you're one of the best guys that we have for player development. And, and you, you said some great things, but one of the things you talked about was dealing with the space between each pitch as a player. You know, Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, the space between. So, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I think one thing that doesn't change in this game from five years old all the way to the big leagues is being on time in the hitting zone and everything you do from base running to fielding to, to hitting. Um, you know, the one thing that, you know, obviously pitching's a little bit different. They're going down the slope. They've got one job to do and that's hit the glove hard, you know? Um, but, uh, I think, uh, from a defensive and position player standpoint, the, the, the key from five years old, all the way big leagues is, is knowing what the hitting zone and, and figuring out the rhythm and timing to that hitting zone in every aspect. But to also to that, um, is the space between, and that's the time between pitch to pitch and, um, just getting your mind right for that next pitch, because, uh, this game changes pitch to pitch in a lot of ways the the situation changes the count changes um you know in simplest terms and i think one of the biggest things is a clear mind and the ability to adapt and apply pitch to pitch and that's one thing that we're working on we start practice on 
on Monday. We're very grateful for that. Um, and one of the things, a lot of these guys haven't played baseball in a while. And one of the things is, is I threw them in the pool and I, I said, Hey, let's play baseball. Let's just play baseball. So we're doing a lot of coach pitch right now. Um, obviously we're working on team fundamentals, like, you know, you know, cuts and relays first, but then we just throw them in and say, cause all this stuff happens. And it's amazing how it speeds up on them so quickly. Well, especially if you haven't played in a while, if you haven't especially. played in a while, it's it, the speed of the game is going to take some time to get back adjusted. Yeah. How yeah. long, and, how long as a player did it take you to develop the mentality with the space between pitches? Like how long did that take you? You made it to the big leagues where, where at on your playing path did, did you finally figure out how to handle the space between pitches? Probably um, after my first full season of professional baseball, to be honest, because you're doing it every single day and not just, not just, um, you know, getting and, and doing um, early work with, with all the coordinators and such at two thirty, but the games, the, the, the experience you get in the games. Um, if you go to a big league game or a minor league game, and I told our players this, and we were doing situational fungal the other day, there was guys that were not ready in the hitting zone. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So, um, and it's something that you can control. So, you know, as a, as a coach, you just try to, you try to reach out to everybody and realize how important that is from every aspect of the game. If you go to a minor league game or a big league game, it's amazing to me. I, I, you know, when, when being just 45 miles South of Cleveland, go to the Indians games, you sit back and you watch the timing that these guys have in the hitting zone. It's impeccable. Seven players out there, third, short, second, first, right, left, center, are on time for in that hitting zone. Sequen it's almost poetic watching poetry in every pitch. They don't take one pitch off because they realize at that point in time that every pitch has a consequence. If you're not ready for that pitch, it could be a major consequence. And the game is so fast at that level, they realize that. It's kind of like lining up in football and you taking a playoff. Simple as that. It could be very detrimental. So just making that a habit, and it's such a simple habit. You ever heard the term, see a little, see a lot? See a lot, you see nothing, right? It, 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 when, when, when the space between, when you have a lot of things going on, remember the movie For the Love of the Game? The focus, you know, narrow, right? The broad to narrow, narrow the focus. Same thing. You know, you work hard for over 100 pitches a game on, on the defensive side, okay? But that time in between, you can go ahead and let off the gas a little bit, say something to somebody next to you or whatever, okay? And then lock right back in, you know, that next pitch. I think that's really important to have that little break. Look, the pitcher receives the ball. He walks around the mound or whatever. A guy who works fast or, or slow, there's some guys. The worst thing in the big leagues uh, – Steve Traxel, the, the average game he threw in was like four and a half hours. <laughs> so us as position players were like, okay, it's going to be like a minute and a half between pitches. What do we do between then, you know, to make sure we're locked in for that pitch and, and, and help him make a, you know, make a play for that guy, you know, gap to gap as an outfielder or a ball in the hole as an infielder, what do we do for that 45 seconds in between pitches? You know what I mean? And then there was guys that worked extremely fast, but you know, this game is still the same game. We have to be on time for in the hitting zone all the time, five years old to the big leagues that never changes. And if we can develop that habit is something as simple as that. There's so much information out there on Twitter and everything. And I think it's all great. It's all information, but our players read the same thing. They come to practice and there's a thousand things in their head, a thousand things in their head, but they can't even be ready for a pitch in the hitting zone. That bugs me. <laughs> Love it. All that stuff, but you can't be ready in the hitting zone. You don't even know all that. You know, like as simple as that. And it's amazing 
when something that simple, how good they can play defensively. You know what I mean? You you talked about on the hot stove, you know, the athlete drill, something you do every day, pop up, fly ball communication. Now that you're playing more, are those still things that you're going to try to implement every day, even every though you're day. playing more? Um, even, even, yeah. So before we do those scrimmages and coach pitch and live ground balls and things like that, we make sure we touch on those things. And then obviously when you do live ground ball or those live scrimmages, coach pitch scrimmages, all those come up, they all come up and then we change the situation really quick as coaches. So we may do nobody on for three pitches and bang, 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 you know, then we might do man on first. And all of a sudden the situation changes. All of a sudden, you know, ground ball, double play, or is it a ball in the gap and we got to do a double cut? You know, so the game speeds up on them. Next thing you know, the shortstop doesn't know where he needs to be and, you know, and all that. And catcher's going, you know, two, three, two, 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 three, 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 four, four, four. This is why we work on these things. All of a sudden the game speeds up so we can make sure we know how to play this game. And if we can play this game at a high level, the game of baseball, knowing where you need to be in each situation, you're going to be really successful. And that's why it's important to touch on those things every day because they need to know how important it is. And it could be just for two minutes. Hey, I would rather know that I really going as a coach and we've all been there as coaches. I really don't want to do Bible communication again today, but we're going to do it. We might only do it for 10 seconds just so they know (laughs) how important it is. Right. So, and then one day we might do it for 10. 10 minutes, you know, so I just think it's important for them to know that those aspects of the game are very important. And I, I sometimes am curious, you know, um, at our youth level, you know, what we need, I think we need to do a better job. We all need to do a better job coaches, you know, but a better job of teaching the game in that way. Well, and communication's not, a huge up. deal. How you've been doing this for a long time. How many players do you have that you get? They have a hard time even talking, and 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 if it is talking, it's not loud enough in practice and in games. How much are you addressing that with your guys? Like just the volume of how they communicate. Yeah, it's amazing. You can you notice a difference between a junior and a senior, or I mean, a, a junior senior versus a freshman or a sophomore. Um, it's amazing the progression. And that's why we get into coaching, right? Like you see progress from freshman year to sophomore year to junior to senior. One of the biggest things is communication, biggest. And um, you, you, we talk about culture, right? It's you can't have a culture if you don't communicate. It's just it's just it's not going to be there. And you know our our kids are so used to being on the phone all day long and ingrained and they they sometimes probably go times where they don't need to talk that much or communicate and that's why too what scares me is all this virtual learning going on right now like there's something about interacting especially in as an athlete and that locker room is a special place between coach and player not just for players but even coach and player being able to communicate being able to adapt and apply communication is ultimate during tough times how much adversity goes through a college baseball season you've got to be able to manage that not just the coach the player and in order to do that there has to be a communication and a language that you speak a foundation to go to um, is, is is really important you talk about the adversity, and, and one of the quotes you had in the hot stove was, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Do you feel like yeah. that's a way to handle the adversity, is, is to come, come with energy and enthusiasm every day to the ballpark, no matter what's going on? Yeah, attitude. Um, the, you know, it's like your wardrobe you choose every day. You choose your attitude. And um, it's that that is something you can control. It's a hard to control. It's hard to control. And that's one thing um, that comes with maturity. But, hey, there's 35 guys in my locker room that have all said they wanted to play in the big leagues, right? They have no idea, you know, like 
that, and I think that's great, but you have to do this, this, and this, and this. Well, you know how hard it is to get there. I mean, you, you experienced yeah. it. You lived that life. You made it. You know how hard it is to, to get there. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, sure. And I was also very lucky of being in the right place at the right time. There was a lot of guys that were better than me that didn't even get to the big leagues. So some of it is 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 being at the right place at the right time, which is something you, know, you but, can't control. Like you can't control that. No, you're luckier with the Mets. Like you can't control if you're in a different organization, you may not have made it. No, exactly right, exactly right. Um, I had, and here's the thing too. I look back at it. I got sponsors. There were sponsors inside that organization that really pulled for me because I worked. I, I will say this. I worked my butt off. Jamie Carroll, and, same thing. Doug Sisson. Doug Sisson is the reason that Jamie got yep. called up to the Expos when they needed somebody because Doug yep. was his double-A manager, and, and Doug pulled for him to, to get there. And that goes a long way. If that manager or that coordinator knows that you're in that locker room early and you're actually working and you're wanting to get better and you're actually curious because I'm telling you, you don't get to the big leagues without being curious, trying to learn different. Uh, hey, there's not one way to skin the cat. What works for you is what's going to make you successful. You know what I mean? Now there's principles and fundamentals and foundations to it, but my rhythm is different than Jason Tyner's rhythm. I, that's just an example, you know, at the plate or I may bunt differently than Brett Butler did, but Brett Butler was my bunting coach and he, I owe everything to him. I owe everything to him, but we tried three different types of drag bunts down the third base line. What'd you find and that, what'd you find that worked finally for you on drag? I, so Brett Butler used to just basically drop, he was left-handed. He would take a little jab step towards the plate with his left foot. That's how I taught it. Back, back foot yep. first. Yep. And actually, and that, I, I taught front foot and then back foot towards the third baseman. The The second step was the back foot going towards the third baseman yep. to help with momentum and getting the ball to the third baseline. So what did you come up with finally with your footwork? Well, it was funny how I did it. Um, I did it very similar to Brett Butler, but I had a little step with my right foot first for a rhythm timing yep. thing. Okay. So I just like a little leg kick almost. Okay. And then I would jab to the left. Now, hey, um, Joey Cora. Joey Cora told, you know, taught a lot about walking through your bunts. So, and I, that's kind of what I did in college. But for me, like my rhythm was what really sunk in for me is when Brett Butler taught me that it was almost like a glorified sacrifice bunt. It kept you in there. And he was really big on put placing the ball where you need to. It doesn't matter where the third baseman is if you put it and kill it where you want it. And he was phenomenal at that. In order to do that, he felt like it's a late glorified sacrifice. So what do you do in sacrifice? You just go ahead and square. So basically... The, the, the latest and simplest thing for him to do as a left-handed hitter was just the jab left, like drop the anchor, we called it, towards the plate. And then you keep your eyes close to the barrel. I think that's the key for most guys where yeah. they get into issues is their eyes aren't close enough to their barrel. Yep, exactly. They go like this. They pull away. And then just like being a, an infielder, you know what I mean? If you pull your eyes away from the baseball, your whole body follows your your head. I kept a yeah. binder. You know, back then, you didn't get a lot of videos, but early years at Iowa, I kept a binder. So I would go through MLB.com, and they'd have all these still frames of guys. And especially with the bunting during spring training, you always saw a guy's eyes right next to their barrel when they were bunting. The best bunters do it. You're lucky. You're lucky. Bunners are lucky when they do this. They're just lucky, you know. And, and there's some a, say. I I know it doesn't it doesn't feel like it for guys because they feel like their face is going to get hit, but it's safer because if you follow a ball safe. off, it's not going into your face. Right. It's going Absolutely. over your head. Yep. 
but you also have to have a little bit in, you know, in the lower half region to be able to do that because sure. it's going to take a little bit to stick your nose in there and do it. But that's part of doing it for your team as well. Yep. You know, and I, I want to touch on the three pillars, but I don't want you to go into it. I want to use it as a, as a teaser for the youth stage. And thank you again for speaking on the youth stage this year, but I love your three pillars. I think every great program has something like this, but you got bite down then you got trust and you got finish and that's your gold standard. Yeah. But I love that you have something for your guys. Yeah. Um, so, and then it was, a we just had our first meeting on Monday for everybody. So we started individuals a week ago, Monday, which is more like, um, you remember these right now. I mean, like it's smaller groups and we put them in pods because of COVID. So you keep them, you keep them in these groups. So that's how they, you're working it. Is it guys that live together? Yeah, it was good guys that lived together. Um, and then we kind of kept it at position. We figured out like, you know what? There, It's more so that if these guys are working, you know, by position, they should probably work together because they're going to be together when we start team practice anyway. And, and we started team practice on Monday. We got the whole team out there. It's been awesome. Um, but we had our first team meeting on Monday and it was about grit, trust, pride. Okay. The three pillars, um, you, you see our Twitter, it's called bite down, right? You know, what does bite down mean for us? And that's how we explain it. Grit. You never quit. We're going to finish everything we start. It's a mentality. It's a language. We talk about it every day. We meet every day right before practice. And it has, we, we give scenarios and stories and we cut accustom our practices around it. It's so important in our society, no matter what you do, you can't, you don't quit. If you never quit, you will be successful in anything you do. I really believe it. So, and then same thing, baseball, you've seen players, you've seen teams quit. And if you can have a mentality, no matter what the score is, we're all going to get our butt handed to us someday, right? No matter what. You can have the best team in the world. You can get your butt handed to you. But how we respond and how we keep just playing the game, that's a sign of grit for us. So for me as a coach, like I just think knowing going to the field that we need to work hard in the fall to develop that and create a mentality. So in the spring, when um, we're up by five or down by five, it doesn't matter. I know these guys are still – in the process of trying to play good baseball. And that takes toughness, mental toughness nowadays. It does. And um, having that grid is, is, is really important. And then the, the next thing is trust. Um, there's, there's a couple of things that we talk about under the trust. And one is from a coaching perspective, knowing that those players know that you love them and whether it's tough love or easy love that day, whatever it is, knowing that everything. So setting the standard early that everything, the reason why we do this is out of love for you guys and breaking that barrier down in that way. And by breaking that barrier down, it's through relationship. You don't just say the word you do it by, letting them know that you care in simplest terms and giving a little bit more effort into communicating with them away from the field or at the field. Talk, Hey, talk to them about other things other than baseball. And that's sometimes hard to do as a coach. Cause you get so locked in. Like I want to have a good practice. I want this guy to do this. I want that, you know, and it's, it's really tough, but you're going to get more, out of them if they know you really care and that's by relationship and love um and 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 then you can keep them accountable too you know because one of the things that, that we all look at like as coaches is you know there's so many rules and so much you know coming down from the administration NCAA, like what you can and can't do to hold them accountable. You still, if you can't hold your players accountable, you become a bad 
program. Well, you're a prison, you're a prison warden because then the inmates are running the asylum then. You still have to have that leadership, that, that guy that they know stand has a stance. You know what I mean? Otherwise it's just intramural, like a free for all in my opinion. So they still need to know that, but they also need to know how much you care about them. And they also need to have ownership as well. So it's a, a really um, tricky divide. And, and I think a lot of that takes feel and honestly working hard from an aspect of opening up and listening to other people and what they do and, um, you know, getting uh, uh, resourceful, reading books, um, about maybe not even sports, like even people that are running businesses and talk about culture, I think is really important. And, um, I think Joe Madden's like Terry Francona and the big leagues are really good at that. Jim Leland was really good at it in his own way. You know, Jim Leland was like that double a manager, that salty dude. Right. But deep down, those guys in the locker room loved him because they knew he stood for them. You talked about prep steps and being on time. JT McGuire was on the the outfield hot stove with us after you. He talked about one of their minor league guys and Francona wouldn't call him up to the big leagues because his prep steps weren't good enough. So he he couldn't trust that he was going to be ready on every pitch. Right. Yes. And you go to a big league game, every guy, I mean, they have a job to do. Hey, you think when, like, Hey, part of that too, though, is, you know, if you don't do that, you're going home, right? Like if, yeah. if, if you're not doing it every pitch, like you're, you're going to get sent down or you're going to get released. Yep. 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 Hey, you said something great during, and I'd never heard of it. You said adversity is only good if you are tough. Did you, did you think of that? Or did you hear that? Did Murph tell you that? No. Um, I, you know, I, I believe it. Yeah. I think it's, um, cause, Murph, cause by the way, if you're soft, like adversity is terrible for somebody who's soft. Cause they're going to pack They're They're going to cave, well, but adversity is good for somebody that's got some grit and some toughness yeah. because they're going to learn and grow from it. And it's going to make them yeah. better. I, my kids hate when I bring it up. We're talking about grit in the house. And my daughter hates when I bring up grit, but I'm like, you're training yourself. Doesn't seem like it right now, but you're training yourself for that, that next tough thing that happens to you that you're going to be okay when that next tough thing happens. Absolutely. And that's the game. Like this game is not called baseball. Realistically, it's adversity. And the difference between an average player and a good player at this level, at the college level, is the guy that can handle that adversity. And it goes back to attitude and enthusiasm for the game. Derek Jeter, one for 32. Derek Jeter, 16 for 32. He still has the same process into going into that next day of getting better. He always looked through the front window. You can tell. You can see it in his body language and his work ethic. And all those guys in the big leagues, same thing. They all those guys through minor leagues, you're going to fail. You can go in one week, in one week, seven days, seven games, it's 28 at bats. You have one bad week, like you like you think about it. And it's so easy to happen. Like, you know, you don't have those days off to like in college baseball where oh, I get, you know, I had a tough weekend. I've got four days to recover. No plane. Like I'll get back in the case. No dude, like in pro ball, you're back at it. It's humbling, humbling. So in order to be good at this game, even in college, like the difference are the guys that can handle the adversity. So you need to develop that toughness. And yeah, I look back, Murph, Murph was, um, Murph, like he just, uh, he was tough, but however, um, he had a way of coaching that uh, it's so, it was so unique. And I came up to him from Iowa state and I was soft, but he ingrained it. You know, so you can train it. Does that make sense? 
Is that and probably the biggest he, thing you learned from him? Yes. Is that you can Absolutely. train you can train that side of things. Yeah. From that from my standpoint, like looking back, you don't really know it, but looking back, I was, I was like, yeah, that I was I was soft. I, I had no idea, like and and tough, soft, whatever. What I mean is I didn't I probably didn't have a foundation if adversity hit. And that's I think the key to being being able to handle how did you get i think about this all the time too because my high school coach and then my dad like turned me into a different player because i was able to handle adversity like how how did you make that switch because i think your personality my personality are similar away from the field how were you able to make that switch and and add in that persona of okay i'm gonna be tough on the on the field now yeah um i did it because i wanted to play mine too i was I wasn't going to play if I didn't. Mine too. Simple as that. Yeah, but I think everybody's got that decision to make. If I was going to give it bats away, or if I wasn't, you know, um, talk about that's a, one thing. Like guys start feeling sorry for themselves. They give more of bats away, and just like w- w- he wasn't in that box. And you, you got to train yourself. That's part of grit. Like you got to train yourself. You don't give one pitch away. Yeah offensively and defensively because this game doesn't owe you the world doesn't owe you and the game of baseball oh. doesn't owe you not a, not a thing hey your your transition you're at really good purdue program and then you go to kent what what was the biggest transition for you going from head coach assistant coach to head coach um responsibilities like just uh you wear a lot of different hats you know i mean you, you, you know, from being an assistant coach, it's all about development, recruiting. Um, I, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like it, it was really cool. Um, and it, you know, going to the field and working with the players and, and, you know, it just, it was, it was a really good experience. And then being a head coach has been a great experience too, as well. It's just different because you wear a lot of different hats. Now you don't, here's the thing. You still have, you still need to have relationship. A lot of head coaches learn the lose the relationship because they think that they can't, they need to know that those players need to know, you know, and that, that is one thing that I think has changed in the last 10 years, especially you need to have that relationship. If you're going to get the most out of these players and keep them accountable, you have to have that relationship. And that's the whole thing. I said it in the beginning of the podcast. If you don't have, I mean, when it's all said and done, that's all you really have anyway. When baseball is away, like relationship and experiences. Right. So, um, Hey, you were around some really good baseball people before you were a head coach. What did you learn not to do? Um, so, rephrase that. Because I think I you just, learn more from guys on what not to do than what to do. What did you learn yeah. what not to do along the way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can say uh, what not to do. Um, I, I would say this. I think, you know, I, I think the biggest thing as as a as a head coach is respect, you know, like treating people with respect and making sure that all of your assistant coaches, your trainers, your strength staff, your players are all on the same page. And I think that's one thing, one foundation and one core thing that if you treat the people around you with respect, you know, even as a head coach on down or a a business leader on down, I think it goes um, really smooth. So, and, and sometimes when people get in those positions of head coach or business, you know, leader that for whatever reason, they think they need to change. And then that you've got to be really careful of the ego and you just need to make sure that, um, you keep that in check and, and you're still the same guy. That do you have you anybody got- that keeps you in check? I think we all need who, who's the who's your accountability person? Who oh, keeps- I have a lot. I, I all my friends, guys like you, just talking, um, and just a lot of times you are who you hang out with too. Uh, you know what I mean? So hey, if you're if you're gonna if you're eighteen to twenty year old kid person man, you know becoming a man, and you hang out with somebody. Um, that, that drinks and does drugs over time, uh, 
the likelihood of you doing that is going to get, it's going to get, it's going to increase. If you hang out with uh, somebody that's lazy, you know, and, and wants to sit on the couch and you hang out with them over time, you're going to develop that, you know? Um, so I just think that I use a lot of resources because I think it's good to have a broad mind and hear different perspectives. That doesn't mean I, you know, you trust, you, you learn to um, develop relationships that you really trust um, and, and use those resources. Does that make sense? You know, you've coached some big leaguers now, you know, Kevin Ploiecki, Eric Lauer come to mind. What's the factor? We talked about it having a little bit of luck. You obviously have to have some talent. What are guys like that? What's the difference for the guys that make it and don't make it besides a little bit of luck? <clears throat> obviously talent. You got to have adequate talent. And, and and here's the thing, though. You look back at like Kevin Puecki, that, that that was a guy that he didn't have 20 offers. He had just a couple offers. Um, he had a skill set that was adequate. Um, but you know what? He did. He does the ordinary. Unbelievable. Throw to base. It's on the bag every time. Receiving. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Ball to bat skills. Really good. He's really proving, like, especially this year, now that he's getting more opportunity, I think he's hitting like 320. Doesn't strike out a lot. Um, Kevin Puecki struck out. Like, he hit in the 3-4 hole for us. Now, he didn't hit 20 homers, right? He was steady, he hit- though. You knew you knew it was going to be a good at bat when he got in there. It's crazy because Fagley, Fagley was at IU a, a little bit before that. Yeah. Two really good big league catchers, but you knew yeah. you knew when you were coaching against those guys that you knew what you were going to get out of them. Like it was going to be a competitive at bat, and yeah. the pitcher was going to have to make pitches, but it was yeah. going to be a competitive at bat every time yeah. those they got in there. Absolutely, and I th- when I say Kevin, like doing the ordinary extraordinary, he is really good at that. Really good at that. And then going back, he hit in the middle of our order. He just struck out only like seven or eight times the whole year, hitting in the four hole with guys on base or whatever. Like he had the three, four hole to me is the most stressful place in the lineup because a lot of times there's traffic. You're going to come up to the plate and there's some guys that don't like that. Okay. And for, you know, for a guy like him, um, he, he did, he, he was, he was a very fundamentally sound, good ball player, and he did it very good consistently. How do you balance family during the season? Um, it's tough. It really is, and I, I think that's something that you get better at. The you know, the older you get, and the more years you do it, because um, we have a responsibility as a head coach, you know, to run a baseball program, and during that spring is the, the hot time of that. We also have a responsibility to be a father and a husband and being able to balance that is, is really important. And how do you do it? Well, um, the, the, the unique thing here about Kent in the past and the schedules might change, you know, what, who knows what's going to happen. We don't know um, what's our spring schedule is going to look like because there, there's a lot of different models out there right now. But for here in Kent, our first five weeks are on the road. So if you think about it, we always give them off Monday, right? Our players, we go practice Tuesday, practice Wednesday. We are gone Thursday morning. We are gone Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes don't get back till Sunday night until three or four in the morning or Monday morning, excuse me, three or four in the morning, or sometimes Monday afternoon, depending. And you're going, you know, how do you balance this? Well, you, you know, that the beauty of it, un, unfortunately, is we're not going to be home seven days a week, right? It's just we're going to be gone the first five weeks, four days a week, five. And then when we're here, we're recovering from that. So you've got to make sure like that Monday, Ryan, that that day off that I am with my kids as much as possible. And that Tuesday, Wednesday, when you're at practice and they have something, you plan practice around. 
Did COVID, COVID recharge the batteries a little bit? I mean, you got probably got to spend more time with your family than you ever have. Did you get a little chance to recharge the batteries a little bit here during COVID? That was absolutely. And and you do even before COVID, you you recharge it in the fall and winter with your family. You make the most of it in the summer as well because you know you're going to be gone in the spring. If I can make my son my son's baseball game, you know, before COVID on in in the in the summer, I'm there. I'm, I'm going to recruit, you know, no doubt, but I am ma- making sure that I at least, you know, um, see him play. And be, because at the end of the day, like you need, you need to be, you need to be there for him as well. And COVID, as far as that goes, it was the silver lining of all this thing is I, you know, you spend so much time. I was able to play catch and throw BP and, and see my daughter do gymnastics and, and go hang out and, and teach him how to fish or whatever it is. Like we did so many things as a family um, and, and it, it made us a lot stronger. And, and I really enjoyed that part of it. We talked about youth a little bit. What are some things that are going to help youth players, you know, specifically youth coaches? I mean, what do you want to see out of the youth coaches right now that are out there helping the younger generation? I, that's, that's a good question because I think, um, I think our youth does really, youth coaches do really good in certain aspects. I just am afraid that we're losing sight of the actual gameplay. And over time, like when we get our freshmen in the fall, for example, um, you can't assume that they know some things that you think they would have known 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, so that part has changed. Like as far as like, they're, they're really caught up on launch angle and, and being in the cage and um, certain things. But as far as the game, the game part hasn't changed. Like, so that the fundamentals of the actual game can be improved. There's no doubt. I'm just being honest. It can be improved. And that's really important from, the levels of like my son's seven years old to all the way to the big leagues. It's going to be important. Just like what you said about Terry Francona, he didn't think he was going to be on time for pitches, you know, just to see a little, you're going to see a lot like the simplicity do simple better, you know? Yeah. So uh, youth coach, good place to start. Let's teach ready position, teach what an actual ready position prep step position is. Yeah. I, I think where, especially the young generation is, Playing catch is tough for the young kids because, one, from a development standpoint, you may have some older kids playing with younger kids. One, the kid that maybe throws harder doesn't want to hurt the kid that he's playing catch with. So there's nothing wrong with finding a wall or a fence at practice and just letting kids fire away into a fence rather than having to try to hit a target in the beginning so they can get some of the arm down and then maybe add in some catch play, even if it's with tennis balls or rag balls. So they're not worrying if they're hurting their partner or getting scared to get hit too. Like that's all part of playing the game at an early age is getting over the fear of getting hit with a ball. But there, there are some things that you can probably add in as a youth coach that, that are going to help those kids play catch a little bit better um, and, and add in the fundamentals. You know, what's crazy is, and I look at it, just to the differences, you know, you go to games in the summer and we weren't able to this past summer, obviously, but you think about it. When you go to a game and recruit, the player's got a game at one o'clock. He shows up at 12. They take a couple swings in the cage, all pull, right? The coach will go ahead and hit a couple fungos that are, you know, um, 10 yards away from the actual fungo. Right. And they, they do the line, you know, they, they take it and then they just flip it back and then they show and go from that. Point. Well, you're a good example. You, you're coaching college guys. You played in the big leagues. You do the athlete athlete outfield drill every day. That's a fundamental every drill day. with guys. That's every day. That's something that a youth coach, you could have your fundamental individual work and you can get them going in 10, 15 minutes. If you, Ooh. if you have your set stuff. Yeah that you don't need a lot of time to, to work on the fundamentals every day. And it is more about doing, you know, doing a little, a lot than it is doing a lot, a little like yeah. f- pick your four, 
three to four things that are really good fundamental wise and have them do it every day. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I just say, and that's another thing. I think it's, it's important in every aspect, like for us, our outfielders thinking back at outfield, it's important for them to throw every day. They need to, because they're going to do it in a game every day. You know what I mean? Getting ground balls every day, working on drop steps every day, forehand, backhand. And I love that you, you talked about having the outfielders take ground balls with the infielders. Yes. All the time. It's important. What are some final thoughts here, coach? Well, going back to real quick to the ground balls, like with infielders, the the one thing the infielders are very good at is, is that um, their hands are always out in front and they're always on time. I mean, that's one thing like they, and I think as an outfielder that, that needs, that principle needs to happen too. So they get to see that and they get to learn how to play through a baseball. And then um, I think, some of the things that happens in infielders now is they like to hang back and let the ball come to them where an outfielder is really good at coming through a baseball. So vice versa, they can learn things from them, you know, from each other. And, um, Hey, were you, were you a glove side foot in front guy or a throwing side foot in front guy when you were feeling in the outfield throwing Throwing side? side. And we talked about that a little bit because you're taller, lankier, um, where, where it's easier to get down made me more athletic. And the thing is, is it's funny is I, the only way I was ever really taught until Gary Pettis, you know, was the, the glove side. Yeah. And I always struggled. Like I was like, you know, and then, you know, balls eat me up or, or whatever. And then I switched it and it was so much better. Like, and, and so everybody's a little bit different, you know? Um, and for us as coaches, we need to um, manipulate and, and put them in positions to be really successful. And that's our job. What, what, what other final thoughts you got? Anything else? No, I, I just think that, um, us as coaches, we need to, we need to stick together. We need to continue to talk the game. Um, we're, we're always including myself we're constantly learning. And I think that's important. We need to continue to evolve, but we also can't lose the foundation of the game. And I think the more and more from even a youth level that you can get them on a field and practice the game, practice the fundamentals, take BP on a field, have the base, have guys base run while you take BP. I go to, you you go recruit in California. I think that's one thing California is really good at. They go, they, they play in those scout leagues in those scout leagues. They're, you know, they're going to play a game at say at seven o'clock at night. Those guys are there at four o'clock. They have the full schedule. They do it right. Uh, they do it right. Believable. And if you can be, uh, uh, you know, running a travel program, I don't see why you can't do the same thing. Find another field. Okay. But actually run a practice and get them better instead of just showcase them. And I think it'll keep the players interested too, because there's so much good and so many, the, the cool part of the game is the. Well, the they're going to really, see improvement then too. I mean, that's the thing from a player development standpoint, you do that over the course of an entire summer, they're going to be a lot better at the end of the summer than they are at the beginning of the summer. Yep. Yep. And I've got it. There's kids on my team that are freshmen right now, talented as heck. And right now, I mean, um, you know, they'll, they'll field a ground ball, uh, you know, and throw it to first base and hit, you know, actually hit somewhat of the first baseman's glove, maybe, um, you know, five out of 10. And we've got to get that to about it. Well, that's not going to play because even nine out of 10 is not good. Right. Nine out of 10 is not good fielding wise. Like that, that's, that's tough, man. Like it's tough for guys to to figure that part out. Like, Hey, nine out of 10, you throw one away. That's not good. That's nine. It's 900 fielding percentage. That's not, that's not going to win us. That's not going to win us any games. A 900 fielding percentage is not going to win us any games. All right. I love you, my friend. Have a, have a good meeting. So thank you so much, Ryan, for having me on. Yep. Love you. Love you too. Thanks to Coach Duncan for coming on with me. Uh, Dunk, you're the best. Uh, He's one of the coaches I would bounce ideas and vent to when I was a head coach. 
Uh, he helped me work through a lot uh, in seven years as a head coach. The quote I keep going back to is, adversity is only good if you're tough. I love the mindset that you can develop grit and toughness with your players. He had a conference call, so we had to cut our call short, uh, but definitely we'll get dunked back on because uh, we, we left a lot to be discussed. I just really enjoy talking to him and, and have enjoyed you know the last 10 years of our conversations. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.